Welcome to episode 16 of season 2 of the Search with Canada podcast, recorded on Thursday the 28th of April 2022. My name is Jack Chambers and I'm joined by my co-host Mark Williams-Cook and today we'll be talking about Also Asks Deep Search Update, scammers using AI-generated lawyers to create fake DMCA notices, Google's John Mueller has been replaced by the Mueller bot, Google Search will be rolling out desktop support for signed exchanges soon, Google's Web Spam Report 2021, and Google launching a new CDN. Search with Canada is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. You can go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their Instagram hashtag generator, Google Update Tracker, PageSpeed Comparison, and tracking of your site's visibility index. That's systrix.com SWC for free SEO tools, and systrix.com trends if you want to sign up for the monthly Trendwatch newsletter. So, Mark, as the founder of AlsoAsk.com, there is a little update for the listeners. Yeah, thank you for adding this because I um, I actually just added this onto our list of show notes about 20 seconds before. As I was reading. <laughs> Jack read out what we're going to be talking about, which is the Also Asked update. Um, I was kind of thinking about this because I was like, I always feel a bit weird because it's obviously another, it's one of our projects. It feels really kind of like self-promotional to mention it and it they don't you know Systrix is our official sponsor and I was like so can I mention it because it's so but then I was like I could just say you know also ask don't sponsor this podcast every time that's true and then you technically we're fine yeah um, <laughs> but I want I did want to mention it because um we pushed some new features live on alsoask.com yesterday and we've had really nice really positive feedback about it another kind of wave of, of new users which is always brilliant so for those that don't know um we have a tool called alsoask.com which does people also ask research so you can pop in a keyword or a very specific question which is actually what other tools can't do so things like answer the public is great for topic research but when it comes to researching the long tail what you should have in your article that data that they use basically doesn't provide much in the way of results. We went into much more detail about six weeks ago when it launched properly. So if you want to hear a full breakdown of that, you can go back and listen to season two, episode 10, about six weeks ago, where we went into a lot more detail when the proper launch of version one happened for Also Asked. Thank you. Hint taken. I will stick to the updates, which is, uh, so we've launched a deep search update. And what this means now is there's a redone user interface, which should hopefully be a bit more slick. When you do a search, you can now select on a drop down to do a deep search. And what this will do is it will take you one level deeper in the people also ask questions. So it's as if you've clicked one level uh, further in. And this actually takes the number of questions you get back in your result from an average of around 20 to over 100. So it's a huge amount of data for a single keyword search. On top of that, we also removed the limit, which used to be 100 for bulk searches. So you can now 
upload a CSV, you can upload a thousand different queries at a time, which means on a single download, you can get 25,000 questions. So if you've got your kind of list of of topics, keyword research you want to explore, you can whack those up in a in a CSV, you'll get a zip file back, which you can then pass out the separate CSVs to the content team, and it will basically do all of that research for you. So that's live now, alsoask.com. It's a freemium model, so you can go try a few free searches, or it starts at 15 bucks a month. So, I know we've been talking a lot about AI stuff recently. We had some special guests on the show last week reading <laughs> reading not only the intro, but an SEO-themed horoscope for you listeners. Well, we've got, I guess, the, the negative side of people using AI for this kind of thing. And we've had some scammers using AI-generated, essentially deep-faking lawyers to trick people into agreeing to DMCA takedowns and notices and paying ransoms and all this kind of stuff. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a DMCA copyright infringement notice is something, and we've covered this on the podcast previously before as well, is something that will cause you a lot of legal trouble. It's become a big thing, especially in places like YouTube and the music industry and things like that, where you're using basically licensed stuff. If you're using imagery or music or video or anybody's intellectual property against their agreement essentially without their consent and without licensing it for yourself especially for commercial purposes then you can get into a lot of legal trouble we covered as well before the dmca tool that is available through google so basically if someone's scraping or copying your content directly and they ignore you when you ask them to stop you can actually just directly file a DMCA request with Google, who are then obliged to actually take action. And normally it results in that being removed from their search results quite quickly. And the interesting thing about those requests are that basically happens unless the other person counters it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting, weird thing we're seeing a lot more of, I think. We're going to see a lot more of, especially with the power of AI coming around. Uh, this was highlighted by Ben Dixon over at thenextweb.com. Of course, links in the show notes. As always, search.withcanada.co.uk for all of the show notes and links. And I'll read a bit from Ben's article here to kind of summarize a few bits for you, dear listeners. Basically, one of his clients was contacted and received a DMCA notice from a questionable <laughs> uh law firm called Arthur Davidson Legal Services. Sounds legit. And they essentially say that you have seven days to add image credit to the offending page, in quotes, with a link to the homepage of her client's website, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Otherwise, we were required to take legal action. And as Ben rightfully said, this has been a tactic that has been used before, and you will get dodgy sites to do this, to just be like, oh, give us a link back to our site. It's kind of a dodgy way of getting links and... Yeah, not not best practice, should we say, for link building, to say the least. Well, we actually had um, a couple of years ago, Craig Campbell come yes. to a Search Norwich event to enlighten SMEs and some other SEOs about some of the naughty stuff that SEOs do. Which, so that naughty black hat SEO. Yeah, which Craig is very knowledgeable about. And uh, one of the things he said that he had tried with a lot of success was, basically just emailing authors when they use image to say, um, 
hey, that's my image. You need to give me a link. And yep. he covered sometimes, obviously, they reply and and they're like, well, no, I took this. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it just looks really similar to one I took, which obviously um, that's do, you doing it as a DMCA is, is a whole other step. So in the UK, at least, I don't know about the US or certainly outside um, law, but in the UK, it's actually illegal to f- knowingly file a false DMCA request. So, you know, I, neither of those things, in my opinion, is a good idea to do. Like, you know, big reputational risk from the first one. And the second one is literally illegal. You're putting yourself at, you know, legal risk doing that. So don't go around trying to claim DMCA rights over stuff unless it's yours, of course. Bad idea. Yeah. So this is the, this is a law firm claiming to be based in the US. They even had a Boston, Massachusetts based phone number and a, a seemingly a real building that has real actual law firms working inside of it. So it seems totally legit. Uh, the email ends with references to like section 512C of the DMCA and professional signature and looks totally legit. From looking at there is a screenshot in the article if you do want to have a check out of that. It looks pretty convincing. Thankfully, Ben is pretty switched on and was kind of like, this seems a bit odd. And he went back and contacted them and kind of went back and forth a couple of times and kind of got his hackles up a bit and realized something was going on. So had a look at a few couple of a couple of different ways of investigating this essentially and a few more red flags came up first looking at the domain record on ICANN the internet corporation of inside names and numbers they've been apparently active since 2009 according to the email and according to the website the domain has been registered earlier in 2022 red flag straight away and it is straight up like arthurdavidson.com it's a very straightforward domain seemingly convincing domain as well it would be the obvious thing that something a company like that would go for then Googling them and looking up like news sections and stuff, they claim to be very high profile lawyers. They give statistics of like 90% success rate, uh, 380 wins from like over 400 cases, blah, blah, blah. Basically scare tactics of like, look how successful we are for our clients. You don't stand a chance, all that kind of stuff. But nothing came up in the news. And if they had done this, that would be newsworthy. You would be picked up in publications and legal publications and stuff like that. So looking at the About Us page on the website, Ben noticed something else as well. None of the people on there are real. (laughs) All of the photos, despite how convincing they are, are in fact AI generated. That's a red flag. That's a definite red flag, yeah. (laughs) So using GAN or GAN as it's known, so the Generative Adversarial Network, which is basically deep faking people's faces. And I know you've played around with this, Mark, for a few different things and similar kind of things for people's faces, artwork, all this kind of stuff. You get this image training and and machine learning stuff that is fascinating and really, really damn convincing to the untrained eye. If you know what kind of artifacts to look for, because thankfully there are kind of telltale signs in a lot of ways from this kind of thing. For now. For now, yeah, until the machines take over and, (laughs) and rule the world. But thankfully Ben was able to notice it and kind of pick up on it and realized yeah, this is complete rubbish from top to bottom, from start to finish. And yeah, very interesting to see how kind of advanced. I could see this catching a lot of people I know who do not work in our industry, who are not tech savvy, you know, relatives, parents, friends who are not in this kind of industry, getting caught out on this stuff pretty easily. And including, you know, previous clients I've worked with who are not particularly tech savvy, who are not necessarily legally savvy either, 
you could very quickly get run in run into problems with this with such a convincing scam. So keep an eye out, folks, essentially. <laughs> Make sure you do your research. If you get a hint of a red flag for anything to do with DMCA or any serious kind of legal stuff that people seem to be just contacting you out of the blue, do your research. Use the techniques Ben has listed. He lists some free tools in the article about how he did his research. All of the investigation he did was free just by processing some images and having a look through different things and, and double-checking and searching through certain databases and all that kind of stuff. So really good resources there from Ben at thenextweb.com. Highly recommend you go and check out the article in full in the show notes. And speaking of spam... Spam, 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 spam. Google's web spam report 2021 is here. The highlight of our year, right, Mark? Yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed covering the last one. I, I feel this one... It's pretty, pretty dry. Is it, I feel it's a bit propagandary. Yeah, I mean, but, I know there's always going to be that element to Google, but they give some uh, on-the-surface... Look how great we are kind of stats. Yeah, some yeah. very impressive numbers, <laughs> but then when you kind of think about what they're saying, you know, so so for instance, they're kind of they're talking about spam spam brain, <laughs> spam brain uh, launched in 2018, and it's their uh, system to help battle spam AI based spam prevention. It's AI, I'll get there in a sec. It's an AI based spam prevention system, and they've said that they identified nearly six times more spam sites than in 2020. That's, that's, that sounds like a lot. Imagine that, that, again, we always talk about this. This is millions and millions. So we're talking six times millions and millions, if not billions of sites. So, yeah. I raised my hand, though, to ask, was there more spam sites in 2021 than in 2020? Or have they just identified more? There's, the not, the, there's not the clarification there, yeah. Yeah, so... If if the system was working at the same efficiency, but there was just more spam sites, if there was ten or if there was ten times more spam sites, they've and done a worse see. job. <laughs> so I'm just ve I'm but always very wary about these statements out of of context. The classic SEO thing of the, the LinkedIn graph, if you will, just like yep, it's got it no shot label up. on the y-axis. Yeah, just uh, traffic is a hundred times higher than it was at that previous point in time. Don't ask about the numbers. No, no labeled access. Everything's fine. Uh, but Google also mentioned like there's a major reduction in hacked spam of seventy percent, uh, gibberish spam on hosting platforms, which is an incredibly specific metric to pull out. But sure, seventy five percent reduction in that as well. And yeah, they're kind of talking about how how great they're doing in many ways. And it claimed to keep more than ninety nine percent of searches spam free. I did some maths while you were covering the last topic uh -oh. about that which i was just looking at how many searches google serve per minute and i have calculated that if only one percent of their searches have spam in that's approximately 54 million 720 thousand searches per day return spam that's a lot again a lot. when we're dealing with these astronomical numbers that is a yeah. lot so <laughs> the reason i'm kind of a little bit lip girly about this is because like we talked about in the last episode and the experiment i'm running at the moment i've seen more spam in google over the last 12 months than i have done in many many years especially when we're talking about all this ai generated stuff right 
if you're counting that as spam, and I would, to be honest, if it's not serving... Oh, for sure. If you're, for not, sure. if you're not serving the user intent and you're just churning out crap like the experiment you've been running and we've seen, I've seen quite a few other people tweeting about like, oh yeah, this AI-generated site has now hit half a million visitors a month or whatever and it's just they have no kind of quality control for any of this kind of stuff and there is is there a way of picking up on this kind of stuff that Google has they claim they are picking up on things like scams as well the, the fact that we just touched on scams there as well uh, resulting in a 40% reduction in scammy results whatever that means so yeah big big numbers claimed by Google but I think you're right Mark because AI is becoming so sophisticated and people clever people are using it in clever ways now it, it it's difficult to try and keep up with that I think like Google have said, it's a bit of a cat and mouse game. Yeah, of course. And certainly the mouse has got further away from the cat. So th <laughs> these these spam sites, because I've been looking into this a bit more, because I'm interested in what, what's working, because I want to understand why it's working. So I need to see what's working, then I can understand why it's working, then apply that actually just on uh, within Google's guidelines. And the interesting thing I've noticed is that some of, well, a lot of the spam sites I've seen, and by spam, I mean the ones that are just pumping out pure AI generated content, which is hit and miss. Some of it's like, wow, that's a great answer. And other things are like, this has got the wrong end of the stick. Yeah. They don't, they're not even on any particular topic. So I've seen these sites with a quarter, half a million, a million, two million pages, and they're just answering random questions like, how long does it take to cook this egg thing? And, and then the next one will be a video game. And then one will be like, how to brush yeah. a dog. And be like, how are these things, how is Google or any kind of, crawler trying to understand what this site is trying to be authoritative about and we talked about this of course recently as well about EAT and authoritativeness and trustworthiness all that kind of stuff bringing expertise to something if you're just covering random nonsense <laughs> over and over and over and over again how how can that get through the filters how does that how can you get away with that stuff there there clearly is some stuff that is getting through google's filters because you know, we've got literal ev anecdotal evidence of it on Twitter and things like that. And through the experiments you've been doing recently, Mark, literal evidence from what we've seen, watching your pages get indexed on your experimental site, looking through Bing, churning through stuff and being like, Bing's happy to index that. <laughs> and then looking at how Google, you know, slightly slower, but still you're getting indexed quicker than some total legit sites I, I have worked on in the past and I'm currently working on. It's bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, it really flies in the face of um, a lot of people talk about topical authority because it's just random topics. And I know that Google will deal with many sites like Reddit, like Quora, are the two main examples where they're user-generated content and they just cover all topics. And sure, kinda, sure. Kind of like news sites as well. But this is just really low-quality sites with no, as you say, no expertise, no history, just churning out. The really opposite, basically stuff. the opposite of what EAT stands for yeah. and what we've kind of been led to believe is so important by, by Google. Yeah. I think it's great that they're focusing maybe on stuff like hacked links because, again, that's that's crossing the line in terms of, obviously, that's literally, again, illegal. Yeah, so, yeah. And Spam, spamming and scamming, you've got kind of two different, like, extremes there, right? Yeah, so, you know, the I think Google's doing the right thing if they're focusing efforts there because that's protecting users that's protecting webmasters that's protecting businesses um, and stopping literal crime whereas it's not the end of the world if you get a spammy result you know that isn't quite right and there's just some ads on it and you go yeah and you, yeah you move on 
but yeah, definitely cat and mouse definitely is highlighting some, I think, gaps that have been created in the in the algorithm for this type of content. But um, yeah, we'll put a link to um, the spam report so you can have a have a read through that. So here we are at the midpoint in the show. Little update from Systrix, and we've got a specific update. We touched on the Primark new informational website a little while ago, and we're back on the Primark website. Are you excited to discuss Primark again, Mark? I love chatting about Primark's <laughs> SEO. We 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 were genuinely interested, and it was kind of a thing I had not really, like I said at the time, I had not really considered how important and how different this could be for kind of trying out new things in a weird non-e-commerce but an e-commerce space kind of thing that we talked about. So just to catch people up if they missed the episode where we talked about Primark, basically they built a new site. Um, it looks like an e-commerce site, but of course being Primark, you can't buy from it. They're doing a migration and we're interested to see, will Google rank now product pages even though you can't buy from the site? So there's that mismatch of user intent for unbranded queries. I'm searching for fluffy socks. Will Google rank it even though I can't buy them? So that's what why we find this particular yeah. case interesting. And it is pretty much an e-commerce site minus the add to cart button. I think it was a, pretty much a quote from you last time we talked about it, Mark. You get prices, you can get stock notifications, you can get all kinds of stuff, everything except actually purchasing things without having to walk into the store yourself. And we've actually got an update from Steve Payne from Systrix who wrote the original article. The article has now been updated. So if you do click on that link in the show notes, this is the new updated version of that. And I've got a quote here from Steve specifically about what we're seeing and what he thinks is going on essentially from the data that we're seeing from Systrix and kind of how Primark are trying to trying to manage everything in a careful kind of PR kind of way. So here's the quote from Steve. It's currently a net loss, but the company, the parent company that is, is saying Primark has seen a good early reaction to its new UK non-transactional customer website with traffic doubling in its first two weeks, according to its parent company, Associated British Foods. Back to Steve. This is the classic measurement by traffic kind of problem. You can do some PR. Everybody's covering like, oh, wow, Primark's got a new site. They're a big brand. People are going to cover this on big news sites. Traffic is going to go up from that naturally. Is that actually sustainable, though, with a net loss in visibility? Steve reckons no, and I would tend to agree with Steve. I think this is a very interesting case of a really big brand here in the UK doing something different and, as you said, Mark, not matching user intent, which I think is a could be a cardinal sin for their and kind of the, the nail in the coffin for a lot of their visibility and a lot of their traffic. So the visibility they did have uh, that we could see from Systrix prior to the migration was pretty much all branded. So it, it was had heavily, heavily weighted as branded traffic. Absolutely. And it's it still looks like with the latest data, we can see pretty much all the things they're ranking for have the word Primark in everywhere. So it would make sense that search traffic would go up as well from that digital PR point of view because people are just searching more for, for Primark uh, branded terms there's still no movement really on the unbranded stuff if anything it looks like as uh, Steve said a net loss so yeah I think they're definitely trying to um, polish that result <laughs> it's a very diplomatic way of putting it Mark yeah 
And another update from Systrix as well. We have new features for keyword gap analysis. We've got two new features coming through on the gap analysis side of things. We have a feature called compare keywords, where you can see at a glance how well your domain is performing at a keyword level in comparison to your competition. And this feature is now revised and now suggests potential competitors as you type. So kind of auto-completing and suggesting, oh, maybe you hadn't thought of that competitor. Well, there you go. Here's an example of people who are likely to be crossing over with you in keywords and competing with you on a search by search basis. If you rank better than your competition, the rankings are highlighted in green. If your competitors rank higher than you, they're highlighted in red. So you can get a quick at a glance kind of idea of how you stack up against your competition. You can then also use a filter called common keywords that lets you narrow down the keyword results to see like minimum number of competitors that are ranking, the most number of competitors that are ranking, all that kind of stuff. And as always with most of the Systrix kind of stuff, you can filter extensively and really get down into the nitty gritty of the data there as well. The other updated feature is unused keywords, which then shows you the keywords for which competitors already rank for, but which you do not. So looking at where the gaps are for you in your content. That's one of my favorite features. It reminds me of uh, on tools like Majestic, you have Click Hunter, which basically does the same with links. So you can put yourself, your competitors in, and it will show you where all of your competitors have links, but you don't. I think it's really important for Systrix to have this from a content point of view, because it, it really highlights where, you know, if three of your competitors are ranking for this key phrase, it probably means they're covering some topical things that you're not that you need to be looking at and prioritize because that can actually impact kind of your rankings as a whole. So yeah, really, really, really cool feature there. Exactly. And again, with the common keywords tool, you're totally right, Mark. You can then filter it down even more and narrow it down to where your competitors are ranking the top 10, the top 20, and get even more granular there and see, yeah, I should probably be covering this kind of stuff because a lot of the competitors are covering it as well. And if you know you can do better than them and create better content than them, then you can compete with them on those keywords and beat them at their own game in terms of content and see essentially where gaps in your content are. So some fantastic updates and some really great content ideas hopefully coming up soon from you guys using Systrix. And you can find all that information, of course, by going to our show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. There'll be a link for the Primark article and the updates for the features there as well. And sticking finally with our last piece of AI-generated content, not saying the content is generated by AI, <laughs> but in this case it is because Danny Richmond is back, ladies and gentlemen. We talked about him a few weeks ago with his fantastic English to regex tool, and Danny is very clever and doing some very clever stuff, but also likes a good laugh, thankfully. So we don't need John Mueller, the search liaison from Google anymore. We have Mullerbot, who can seemingly just answer any question you need him to because godspeed to john Mueller. he answers a lot of questions on twitter that he's answered a million times before and i have seen to the point now where danny is replying to people asking john Mueller questions with gifts of his his generated answers from his artificial john Mueller, and they're really damn good <laughs> they're very convincing and it's hilarious so yeah if you don't know danny richmond like i said we talked about him a few weeks ago uh he creates some amazing gpt3 powered scripts a lot of them are available for free for you to test out and experiment with and build upon yourself on his website of course links in the show notes as always at search.withcanada.co.uk 
But yeah, I think Danny started this off as a joke and he says it in his uh, thread of tweets here. Originally intended as a lighthearted joke until it became apparent that Millerbot's responses were, in some cases, unnervingly accurate. And they even have, I don't know how this works, John Mueller's like rye Swiss wit in there somehow? It's it's truly brilliant and something I will never get tired of seeing Danny replying to people with silly SEO questions on Twitter. So I think this <clears throat> this started because there was a, a thread where uh, Paul Shapiro said to John Mueller, you know, could you get a bot trained to answer these results? And John said, I would pay for that. <laughs> and I think Danny, so Danny did. <laughs> saw that and went off and, <laughs> and made it. And I, I talked to him a little bit about how it gets these answers. So the actual answers it's getting. It's from John, John's tweets, isn't it? They're not. Are they not? They are the general understanding of OpenAI. And he did tweak the model on some of, um, only a small sample of John's tweets to change how the answers the were, voice. were phrased. Yes. But the core knowledge, which is, you know, asking really specific things like, can you optimize for rank brain or here's one you know is domain authority a factor in google's ranking algorithms and it's generating answers saying in general google doesn't evaluate a site's authority so it's not something where we give you a score on authority and say this is a general score for authority on your website that's not something we would be applying here you know that's pretty much that's the correct answer so good yeah um, almost every single one i've seen has been more or less the correct answer. I, I feel, I'm not to speak ill word of, of John Miller, not at all. He's fantastic. But like, this is, this is game-changing, putting me out of business kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so, you know, will canonical tags help with the indexing of my site? Maybe. So I think if you're having indexing issues where some of your content is not being indexed for some reason then using a rail canonical can be a way to help us understand that this is the content that you want us to index. Agreed. So maybe that's something worth trying if you're seeing these sorts of indexing. So it's really interesting in that, you know, you could, you could, you could look at ways of actually implementing this and then just having a human check over answers. So, and ask me anything about SEO run by GPT-3 on pooled knowledge. It's, yeah, you know, the problem is obviously that it, it's gonna it's gonna give some cracking wrong answers at some point that will slip through the cracks. Sure. The the price of having kind of a, a false positive, if you like, answer would be high, um, especially if you're giving it the authority of like this yeah. speaks essentially speaks on behalf of Google yeah. on behalf of John Mueller. But um, you know there are companies. So there's there's one actually in our in our building that for years was building a system, and the idea of that system was to essentially take all of a company's knowledge from all the individual people that work there and put it into a system that you could just ask conversationally questions to. And they've been working on that te technology for a long time. But basically, we've leapfrogged there with GPT-3 and OpenAI. So because obviously you can, you can give GPT-3 a specific corpus of documents to yes. use as its knowledge base. So if you have your own manuals, documentation, wiki, intranet, you could, you could do it on that. Um, and that would maybe stop it going off, off piece. But yeah, really, you know, incredible stuff by Danny. As yeah, always, like digital PR wise for 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 Danny Richmond and what he's doing with GPT three. It's yeah, it's really cool. Um, I think John enjoyed it as well. Yeah, two of my favorite people to follow on SEO Twitter. So we will link to the Twitter thread and Danny's website there as well, so you can go and check all that in the show notes. 
Okay, Google is going to be rolling out desktop support for signed exchanges soon. So this is a topic we've covered um, over the last couple of years, actually. So back in April 2019, in episode six, we first talked about Google was going to start um, showing search results for AMP with the hosting domain rather than Google's properties. And then fast forward almost two years, uh, just over two years into the future in September 2021, Cloudflare released, which is still in beta, their kind of one-click signed exchanges. So this meant if you are hosting your site on Cloudflare, they can basically allow Google to directly cache your website for mobile and it would be super, super, super quick AMP kind of style. Um, that's something we've been pushing uh, a lot of our clients on Cloudflare Very to much so, yeah. experiment yeah. with because the the difference in performance is huge. So the update that we've got for you today is Devin Mullins, who is a software engineer at Google, working, funnily enough, on signed exchanges, has said, Google Search will be rolling out desktop support for signed exchanges soon. For almost all sites, no action is needed. Hooray! Lovely. That's what we like to hear. Yeah, that's super cool. So Thanks, just, Devin. They're just going to do it. Sites serving different HTML based on the user agent header will need to opt out by adding a meta tag to your page. What does that mean? <laughs> um, he's also said that uh, basically sites using responsive web design or separate mobile desktop URLs don't need to take action. So to just dive a little bit into what he's saying about um, dynamic serving. So this is... Um, if you are showing different results to Googlebot, for instance, to users, so you are checking the user agent, so whoever's requesting the page, the URL, who they are. Um, so this is quite common. We've talked about it before when, for instance, you might have a lot of client-side JavaScript on your site that bots would struggle with. So you might have a dynamically rendered version, slightly different dynamically rendered version or a server-side generated version or a static version that you serve to bots, um, which is what Google uh, recommend in certain instances. So here said, sites using dynamic serving by varying user agent will need to annotate their pages as mobile or desktop only. So there's some documentation there that we'll link to in the show notes, search.withcanda.co.uk. And basically, it's just a, a meta uh, tag you can put on your page that specifies whether it's mobile or desktop. The thing they're trying to avoid here is otherwise desktop users might see the mobile version of the page. So they'll end up um, basically caching the, the wrong version. Also, I, I have experienced that myself and trying to navigate a desktop website on your phone is one of the most frustrating experiences of using a smartphone I think I've ever had. Uh, this is yeah, this is the other way around. And actually exactly, I, enc yeah. I encountered this yesterday oh, really? um, of a site that uh, basically, it has a separate mobile and desktop version, um, and the because the indexing is switched to mobile first, all of their mobile pages are cached for desktop results. So suddenly, there were burger menus everywhere, and yeah, and, um, <laughs> and long scrolling it, pages. It's kind of like the mobile version of their site is very like, oh, we've just kind of crowbarred this in, so it roughly works on a mobile. <laughs> so on desktop, it was it's just awful. Um, Interesting. Yeah. 
So this this is what they're trying to avoid. They actually, um, Google said, we're reaching out individually um, to these sites that they found to be using dynamic serving, but they've put this kind of announcement out because I imagine there will be people they miss because yeah, the web is big. But yeah, um, exciting news because it means um, actually that lots of people should be getting a kind of free performance boost. Yeah, I guess yeah. That's, that's the upside. Yeah. Um, I guess there are some kind of... Um, monopoly type downsides we'll talk about them we'll talk about them later another point let's leave it positive yeah free performance for everyone that you don't need to do anything for you're just going to get a boost in performance from google there we go there you go lovely (laughs) (laughs) cool i wanted to um finish off this show just talking about again a new thing google has launched and in this case it is media cdn so media content delivery network google is getting into the content network uh, content delivery network game it's i guess not fully related to seo or ppc it's kind of related to ppc but i think it's interesting so i just want to cover it briefly because i've got a feeling it's one of those things that will probably get quite big in the future i saw this through Dr. Marie Haynes um, on her Twitter, brilliant person to follow, which a, was a regular mention here on the show. Yeah, and another another one of the people that we end up mentioning uh, at least once every few months. And it was a TechCrunch article entitled "Google Launches Media CDN to Compete on Content Delivery." So this was announced at the 2022 NAB Show Streaming Summit which was on the 25th, 26th of April in Las Vegas. There is an accompanying Google Cloud blog post, which again, we'll link to in the show notes. I'm just going to give you basically the super short version of this of this article, which is that Google have got this CDN. And of course, being Google, the infrastructure behind it is, is huge. So they've said it's got reach in over 200 countries and more than 1,000 300 cities couldn't even name 1300 cities. <laughs> yeah right it includes all the kind of latest technology out of the box so quick which is http3 and google says with multiple tiers of caching we minimize calls to origin even for infrequently accessed content and that's google's vp shailesh shukla and he wrote that in the blog post this alleviates performance or capacity stress in the content origin and saves costs basically is Google saying, hey, we're really, 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 really good at performance and caching optimization because <laughs> we we own a couple of properties. Like you might have heard of it, YouTube. Um, <laughs> and one of the stats actually in the cloud blog post, which I hadn't seen before was, so streaming video accounted last year for 53.7% of all internet bandwidth traffic. That's a hell of a number. More than half of all internet bandwidth. I am definitely a contributor to that. I am regularly, I'm getting to the point where I'm listening to some podcasts on YouTube now and things like that. So when I'm at home, when I'm cooking, when I'm out shopping, I will often have YouTube things playing on in the background. So I'm definitely a, I've seen my YouTube use statistics and they're terrifying sometimes. So yeah, I'm not surprised. And especially with things like lockdowns and things happening recently, unsurprising that more people are working from home you have that kind of stuff playing in the background so yeah unsurprising but still kind of astonishing more than half 53.7 percent is of all the total internet bandwidth it's absolutely crazy 
So TechCrunch had a quote from Eric Schmidt, who is a senior research director at Gartner. Do not be confused with Eric Schmidt, which I was the the former CEO of Google. That's not who this is. So the CEO of Google is Schmidt with the DT at the end. This is Eric Schmidt with two Ts at the end, just to clarify there. If you're you're searching for these people. Yeah, so the the quote is, Media CDN marks a further expansion of the Alphabet Empire. Alphabet obviously being Google's parent company. In this instance, by commercializing the pipes that YouTube uses to deliver streaming video. I thought that was quite interesting because, you know, one of the technical achievements that Google have had to make is, you know, the actual infrastructure behind YouTube, which must be horrifically scary um, <laughs> because out, out of all that video they probably account for a big chunk of that yes a massive amount i would assume um so he told TechCrunch via email tv and video content providers that choose to build on google media cdn technology can expect top-notch scalability on the flip side prospective customers must weigh the risks of becoming technically dependent on google for advertising delivery mm. and ultimately perhaps even commercially dependent on it for ad sales and measurement as Google builds out linkages between its cloud offerings and its advertising software products. Not to spin off from this too much, but this is definitely something we touched on with the, how do I word this? The the alternatives to GA4 we were talking about and how much we all rely on Google and Alphabet products in general. Whether you're working in the SEO industry, chances are you are if you're listening to this podcast and we are as hosts of this podcast, but like I said, my partner, my family, my friends are all using YouTube. We all, Google has become so synonymous with, it is the verb to search something now. You don't go and search something, you go and Google it. It's become this thing. And I, yeah, I think there is a definite, I'm not saying like, oh, there's a case for monopolization or anything like that. But it is pretty scary that you get these entire industries and entire companies built around being in- completely dependent on technology, built and owned by Google, advertising revenue streams completely built and owned by google and all that kind of stuff as well and we're totally guilty of that working in seo and ppc right that is a key key part of our industry whether we like it or not i mean this isn't my expert area but i i see this as a play for you know they've google ads has been pushing hard now for the last couple of years for youtube video advertising and if they've got this media cdn that is geared up really well to do video they can get people streaming live events using their infrastructure. They're going to have that technology to inject ads, to have user data around that. So it essentially gives them a large, again, third-party video advertising mm. programmatic network. Because if you've got these new, or if you have even, why well, I say new, these older companies that are moving on to digital, say someone like, you know, someone like Disney, for instance, that why would they bother trying to build their own infrastructure if there's something there it's programmatic you know it's got all those tools measurement everything in it as eric says it, yeah it's just that thing about weighing up your kind of vendor locking reliance on on one partner yeah and talking about how google want to add advertising to everything just got up a quick little statistic here that 209.49 billion us dollars was google's ad revenue in 2021 200 nearly 210 billion dollars in advertising revenue from youtube ads google ads display ads product listings service offerings across their entire ad network basically it's big money and it's a big key part of google's revenue as a company as well so the 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 more places they can get their ads in the better it is for them and i know this is something we've been talking about with our ppc team here as well 
there's been some some serious pushes to automate a lot of stuff and make you spend more to then they make more money from you spending more in Google Ads and stuff like that as well. So yeah, going with a bit of caution. Just looking over your shoulder there, I was always kind of quoting people the still around the 120, 130 billion dollar mark. That you're, jump. You're, you're three or four years out of date. Yeah, that jump between 2020 <laughs> and 2021, that's like going from 150. Less than 150 to, to over 200 million, that's like 200 a, billion. That's like 30% growth year on year in ad revenue, which is, is you know, not many people are binging it. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening much. to all the people binging it? It's more than, it's <laughs> more than the 30% growth. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if that is because of a lot of the automation and performance stuff we've seen pushed in Google Ads. That's going to contribute a little bit, obviously, but even things like I was saying, more people are using YouTube, more people are using these platforms. Everybody is working from home and more connected than ever and all the kind of typical stuff you hear from every tech resource in the world. I know I'm treading old ground here at this point, but it's an interesting thing to see just how much money and, as you said, Mark, that there's a very clear kind of graph and, and steady growth there but there is a pretty serious jump up from 2020 to 2021 and maybe we'll see that again here in 2022 when we have the statistics in a year or so's time in february 2023 we'll then get the full year statistics then we'll see maybe we'll cross the 300 billion threshold and we'll go crazy i knew there was a reason why my friend who works in ppc literally has a t-shirt that says wasted spend is google's friend <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And like I said, we talk about it with the PPC team here at Canada quite a lot. We're we're aware of this, and I'm sure plenty of you are listeners as well. But yeah, keep an eye out on what Google is spending and the optimization recommendations they're giving inside the ads dashboard and all that kind of stuff. A lot of it is just them trying to get you to spend more money so they make more money. So keep an eye out for that kind of stuff because... Google's a corporation at the end of the day. <laughs> Alphabet is one of the biggest companies in the history of the world. So don't just go trusting them with a blind eye. Like, yeah, they're optimizing stuff. Like we said, they give us stuff for free. They gave us a performance boost on our website. What could possibly go wrong? They're still trying to make money. It, they're still one of the biggest corporations in the world and probably will continue to be for quite a while. So take everything with a pinch of salt and a, and a hint of skepticism, I would say. So that's all we've got time for this week. But we will be back next week, Monday the 9th of May. We will have our very first in-person guest of Season 2. The aforementioned, he's been mentioned a few times on this season, Steve Payne from Systrix will be here, ladies and gentlemen, next week. We will talk to Steve about his career so far and get some real in-depth insider knowledge on Systrix, how they work and how they kind of came to work with us and you'll understand a bit more about our sponsor for this season so look forward to that next week until then have a lovely week and thank you very much for listening <laughs> <laughs>